This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. Join today. Service guarantees citizenship. See the galaxy of great movies and defend the Federation against the bugs of bad taste. This is a podcast of rare antiquities. I only have one rule. Everyone critiques, no one quits. I am your host, Jeff. I choose to quit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of there. You are no longer welcome on this show. You're going down washout lane, recruit. Yes. <laughs> Ten lashes in the public square. <laughs> this is Harry. Taking the lashes, as per usual. As usual. Like a man. We're back. It's a miracle. We're back. He's black. And I don't know. What else did they say? <laughs> and Lethal Weapon? He's mad. He's mad. We're, We're back. back. He's, He's black. Back. I'm mad. That's from Lethal Weapon, isn't it? Yeah. Lethal Weapon 3, I think. There's Mel Gibson for you. Get a Trump guy. Black. Yeah, Danny uh, Glover seemed to laugh yeah. at it. So he was amused. So Well, it is a funny line. It's a pretty good line. He was so goddamn charismatic. It's hard to hate the man. I hate nobody from those movies. They're probably not making it on this show, but still like a little lethal weapon. Kill for Mad Mel on this show. Oh, my God. I'll take any Mad Mel. You can be mad at me. That's okay. I'll take it and enjoy it. <laughs> I don't know where we got on Mad Mel, but anyway. So today we're rolling up on the 20th anniversary this year of Starship Troopers, which is what we're taking a look at today. 20 years. And Fuck. Yeah, 20 years. 1997, Harry. What else happened in 1997 that you remember? Oh, we known each other for that long? Fuck. I was going to say, you and I met in 1997, so yep. 20 years. Face off. Face <laughs> off. That was a glorious Great epic. movie. <laughs> epic movie. It yep. was a glorious epic. In fact, I was thinking back on 97, and I mean, there were some turds for sure, but you know, you got Face Off, you've got The Game. I mean, there were some pretty good movies in 1997, that if I recall correctly. That might be it. Yeah, that might be it. Batman and Robin? Batman and Robin, yeah. <laughs> That brings the average town yes, a little I know, I know. A wee bit, I suppose. No, no, but the Star Wars Special Editions, that's highlight. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Starship Troopers and you know what you remember from its release or leading up to its release in 97. Yeah, again, as you touched upon, working the theater as a summer job, as a student, glorious days. We saw a shit ton of movies. This was one of them. Can't recall if I just saw it on my own or if it was a screening, but I remember laughing through most of it. And enjoying it, just like I do with most of Paul Verhoeven's flicks. I've owned this movie on DVD. Yeah, I watched it a few times since then, occasionally. And that's pretty much it. You know, every time I pop it in, I always remember how joyful it is. Mm -hmm. it's, it's balls to the wall in one direction, which is usually how Paul Verhoeven goes. And he went for it. Whether he succeeds, we will talk about. That's what the show's for, baby. You know, looking back on the release of the film, I remember seeing the trailer originally for Starship Troopers. And, you know, this was before we had the internet back in 1997, but you didn't really get a lot. Like now you find, you can find out whatever, right? About every movie coming out. And it wasn't really like that 20 years ago. So it was just a um, trailer. That was it. It's just the trailer. Yeah. yeah. You had the publications if you wanted to read, but I didn't even know about the movie. It's just the trailer came on. It looked like a serious yeah. movie, actually. It looked like a yeah. serious sci-fi. It looked like it was going to be Aliens, James Cameron's Aliens. Yeah, exactly. And on a larger scale. I, in fact, I just YouTube the original trailer. 
it's totally serious, totally straight. And that's exactly how I remembered it. You know, looking at this like, wow, it's like grand sci-fi war movie. Holy fuck, this is going to be amazing. And it is not the movie that they advertise in the trailer. I mean, all of those shots are in the movie, but that's not the movie. So we should have not, known better too, knowing who the filmmaker was. We should have. Yeah, exactly. But I think at that point, I'm just thinking like, I was thinking more Total Recall, Paul Verhoeven, as opposed to Robocop, Paul Verhoeven. I do remember having a heck of a time. I mean, being very surprised with the content of the movie, but like you, I laughed. I had a great time watching it, and I don't know that most people <laughs> were on the same page as us. Yeah, this definitely has wound up on more of the cult movie status. I can't recall. Maybe I guess you'll enlighten us how well it did in the box office. We'll get to the trivia, but I figure we'll just get into the synopsis here right away. Any other opening thoughts before we roll into Starship Troopers? Only one. Name your mm. fa favorite Verhoeven flick. I think I'm going to have to say Robocop. I'm going to Total Recall, 100%. Yeah, no bad choice. Starship Troopers, Total Recall, Robocop. I mean, you don't have a bad choice. Even Basic Instinct is a solid flick. Yeah, Basic Instinct is okay. Total Recall's got Arnie to push it over the top, though. But even if Arnie wasn't in it, I think it would have been amazing. Arnie's oh, icing on the cake. Yeah, I still love he's fucking standing there holding Michael Ironside's arms. Like, see you at the party, Rick. <laughs> One of the greatest scenes in cinematic history. Right there. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> love that scene. Such a good such a good movie. Oh, that's great. Totally that's the song so of Arnie's great. best. I considered the divorce. Yeah. <laughs> so I love it. That guy's awesome. Yeah. I gotta watch that after the show's over. It's kind of fucking movie. asshole. <laughs> you love Quaid. <laughs> oh man, uh, who's talking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got five kids to feed. You know, it's great stuff, man. It's great stuff in this shit. He was good too. Was good. <laughs> Such a good movie. Solid sci-fi flick too, like storyline-wise. Very solid sci-fi flick. All right, let's do this. Starship Troopers: War. The invasion of Klendathu has begun. Those damn dirty bugs are about to be wiped clean from the face of the galaxy, according to newsreel footage. Thousands of mobile infantry soldiers have dropped into the middle of a war zone to destroy the arachnid threat once and for all. But as soon as the invasion has begun, soldiers are being ripped apart by giant insects, and the last thing we see is a young soldier falling at the hands of a bug before the newsfeed cuts out. One year earlier, that young soldier, Johnny Rico, daydreams in his social philosophy class. Well, his teacher, the rough-and-tumble amputee Mr. Raschak, tries to educate these vacuous young souls about the social fabric of their society. Remember that whole democracy thing? Yeah, turns out it wasn't such a great idea. And in order to avert chaos, the military took control, and it's been peace and harmony ever since. And so far, things are looking pretty good. Everyone is beautiful. I mean, really beautiful. The weather is nice, and everything is looking futuristic and shiny. Really a nice-looking place. As for Johnny Rico... Life seems to be as good as it gets. He's dating Carmen, the most beautiful girl in school, gets to pal around with his best friend, psychic Carl, and the second most beautiful girl in school, Dizzy, is on deck in case things don't work out with Carmen. But things are all about to change. Carmen is going to volunteer for federal service as soon as high school is over. She wants to pilot spaceships. Rico, who's not so much for the math, probably isn't going to make pilot, but he wants to join up too for honor and service, and, well, Carmen is really pretty. Rico tells his folks that he wants to be a citizen of the Federation, and he's going to volunteer for a two-year term of service. But they're like, hey, no way. And Johnny's like, yeah. And they're like, fine, if you walk out that door, you're cut off. So Johnny leaves. He's cut off. 
Rico, Carmen, and Carl all head out to enlist. Carmen's math scores easily qualify her for pilot school, and Carl's psychic abilities mean he's headed for military intelligence. Rico? Well, that chiseled jawline and perfect hair don't make up for much, and he's headed for the mobile infantry. They make a pact to always be friends, and the three go their separate ways. Johnny ends up at Camp Curry, a boot camp preparing all the dumb, beautiful teenagers for the meat grinder of interstellar combat. Johnny makes some new friends, like flat-top hair model Ace, big, beefy Breckenridge, and hey, look, there's an old friend from high school, Dizzy. Life at boot camp goes pretty well for Rico. He's a natural at doing flips and shit and shooting laser guns and looking really great while doing it. Meanwhile, Carmen is tearing up flight school. She's owning the place. She gets her first chance to pilot a Federation battlecruiser, and not only does she dominate that, she catches the eye of her flight instructor, dreamy, blue-eyed Xander. And all of a sudden, she doesn't have much time for Johnny anymore. She beams him a Dear John video from across the galaxy, Ah, but that's okay. Johnny has space lasers, and he's even squad leader now. In their first live fire exercise, Rico is going for the course time record, and everything's going fine until he tells Breckenridge to take his helmet off during a live fire exercise. So, yeah, Breckenridge catches a bullet in the face. Did I mention before about Johnny? Good-looking guy? Not so much for the brain sweat. His commanding officers don't run him out of town, but he decides it's time to head down washout lane anyway. The girl he joined up for dumped him. He got a guy killed. Yeah, it's just not for him anymore. But before Johnny can take the long walk home, something terrible happens. A meteorite flung from the far-off planet of Clendathu inside the arachnid quarantine zone has struck Earth and destroyed Buenos Aires, which just happens to be Johnny's hometown. Millions injured, millions more dead, including Johnny's family. Now so much for washing out. Before you know it, Johnny, Ace, Dizzy, and the gang are all geared up and getting deployed to Clendathu to destroy the bug menace once and for all. And this is about where we came in. The troopers have been deployed to the planet's surface, but instead of a bug hunt, they run into a coordinated military defense. Huge plasma-spewing creatures are shooting starships out of orbit, and ten-foot-tall razor blades on legs, and lots of legs, are picking apart the troopers by the dozens. Rico tries to take command of the squad to get everyone the hell out of there alive, and he manages to save a few, including his close buddies. But he falls in battle. Yep, that's the end. All right. Now, maybe not. Johnny awakens inside a Bacta tank with a really nasty-looking wound on his leg. He's been listed as killed in action, but in a few more days, he'll be good to go. Rico, Ace, and Dizzy join up with a new unit. Wouldn't you know it? Their lieutenant is none other than the ruggedly handsome Mr. Razchak, sporting a sweet metal hand where his fleshy stump used to be, and he's here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Unfortunately, it seems that they're all out of the bubblegum. Anyway, new plan. Instead of cleaning out the bug homeworld of Clendathu, the mission is to clear out all of the surrounding planets one at a time. First up, a planet that looks exactly like Clendathu. Another feature that makes it exactly like Landathu, it's overrun with giant insects. Razchek's roughnecks fare a bit better out of the gate, though. Their first day is fairly successful. They've cleaned out some bug holes, and only a few of them managed to get ripped to shreds or burned alive. The evening celebrations even take a turn for the romantic for Rico and Dizzy. It's the calm before the storm, though, as their mission takes them through a busted-up military base that's been overrun with bugs. The roughnecks dig in as best as possible while awaiting extraction, and some of them do make it out. Lieutenant Raschak and Dizzy are not among them, however. During the funeral for the fallen roughnecks, Rico and Carmen are finally reunited with Carl, who's looking badass in some slick neo-fascist military garb. New plan again! Theory is there's some smart brain bugs down on the planet, and they need to go get one, so they can get some bug brains. 
you know, so they can figure out how the bugs think. They totally need some actual brains for that. So it's back down to the planet's surface for Rico and what's left of the gang. No sooner than Rico's roughnecks hit the surface does Carmen's starship gets shot out of orbit, though, and Rico diverts to try to rescue her. Luckily, she crash lands right at the location of the very brain bug they had been searching for. Rico and squad rescues Carmen, and they bug out of the bug hole and relay the brain bug's location to the other squads. The brain bug is captured. Rico, Carmen, and Carl wind up together again, and the galaxy is safe from the erected menace. At least for now. The end. So that's Starship Troopers, Harry. What are your initial thoughts? Yeah. Just off paper, it just sounds like a generic war movie. You know, everything is in context. The one thing I did disagree with, just in the way you worded it, is the beautiful Carmen. I was not interested in the beautiful Carmen. I was interested in the beautiful Dizzy. She made me dizzy. Yeah, I was a dizzy man myself. Yeah, Yeah. you were a dizzy man? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's the red hair. It's the curly red hair. And the rest of her. Yeah, yeah. Gorgeous lady. But, I mean, in all fairness, I mean, Denise Richards, not a lot broken. No, no. One thing that he definitely did do on purpose is find the, like, they did want young, really young actors for the role because they're supposed to be teenagers, but they really wanted the youth to come out. Essentially, as part of the satire, I mean, they're supposed to be beautiful, but totally empty kids who are going away to get reprogrammed by the yes. military. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that worked pretty well. So, oh, yeah, that 100% yeah. worked well but with all of them. Except for Carl, because he's the only one who's really thinking. True. I guess that's why they got Doogie Howser himself to play that role. What's interesting is, I mean, if you take a look at it, when you use young actors, they tend not to be too experienced. So, you know, Denise Richards, what's his name here? Casper Van Dien. Casper Van Dien. (laughs) Casper. (laughs) Nice name, Casper. But they didn't have a lot of experience, right? Their performances are a little wooden, but Neil Patrick Harris had a fair amount of acting experience at this point. So, I mean, he is supposed to be the smart guy, but he puts in a, he's a little bit more believable. But anyway, so I'm going to hit you with some trivia, and then we'll segue from the trivia into uh, another piece that will help form the discussion here. So Starship Troopers was released on November 9th, 1997, on 2,971 screens. So it was definitely a wide release. Big budget of $105 million. At the time, that was pretty fat budget. It ended up domestic gross of $54.7 million. So it was a flop at the box office, an unqualified flop. See, that's interesting. Say if people, just like we talked about, you look at the trailer, this does not look like a satirical movie. That's so right. It looks like, you know, so if people are not interested in science fiction, and I think at the time there really wasn't a lot of sci-fi, you know, like science fiction, mm-hmm. even though Star Wars had the special editions around that time, I don't really think science fiction was around that much. It wasn't really in the pop culture zeitgeist at the time in people's mindsets. So I think maybe mm-hmm. people weren't gravitating towards a movie like this. But if they knew that this was a satirical movie, then maybe they would have more people would have watched this. It's hard to say. It's tough. It's hard to say because it wasn't it's always hard to say when a movie's not really marketed as the movie that it is. You know, it's marketed as something different. And And then maybe that's the problem. People thought it was a hardcore war movie and, yeah. and they watched it and it's a bit something a bit different. And then, yeah, yeah, bad word of mouth, maybe. Yeah, I I, I listened to a bit of an interview with the screenwriter. And, you know, he was saying that we were kind of doing the two things. Like on the surface, you got this, you know, big sci-fi action thing with, you know, shooting insects in outer space. And, you know, the movie is there for the people who would be excited about that. But you had the other, the satire under the surface. 
And so that would be there for the people to be interested with that. And they kind of, and I mean, obviously it, it missed. I'm surprised that the studio greenlit this and then didn't like interfere. I mean, you and I were talking just before the show about how the Han Solo movie, you know, the directors were turfed by the studio because it wasn't fitting the vision. If you take a look at a movie like this, where it doesn't fit into really any kind of predetermined set it's a, a sci-fi high concept high budget satire i mean wow i'm surprised that it even got hollywood's that. different now hollywood is different yeah, now it is it, completely different not just because it's the superhero thing and they want franchise thing and the cookie cutter stuff but back then Verhoeven probably had a blank slate and said okay do what you need to do we know you had success with robocop basic instinct Total Recall. He had other earlier successes overseas, I believe, in as yes. a Dutch filmmaker and stuff like that. And they just said, okay, do your thing. We trust you. And they're going after filmmakers. Hollywood Today, yep. not unless it's an indie film, if you're spending more than $50 million on a movie, it's got to fit a certain mold. The filmmakers do not have freedom to do what they want. No, That's there's like three guys in Hollywood who can write their own checks at this point and do what they want i think christopher nolan's a guy right now he can do whatever he wants yeah whether you like 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 him or don't not but like he's the kind of guy who can kind of write his own check at this point but it's really rare yeah but you know i think studios were more interested in you know people fulfilling their vision yeah. right even if there's a risk so I think Hollywood was taking more risks. This is a movie that is risky. So yeah. applause to the studio, the studio heads for, for greenlighting this and giving it its budget. No, I totally agree. So Starship Troopers is based on the novel Starship Troopers by Robert A. Heinlein, one of the uh, one of the kings of literary science fiction from the 20th century. Starship Troopers was originally published in 1959 and won the Hugo Award in 1964 Best Sci-Fi Novel. So as part of my research into this, I looked up the Wikipedia entry on Heinlein and the novel Starship Troopers. And you could tell, you know, you can only take anything on Wikipedia with many grains of salt. And I can tell that the last guy to edit the entry was not a fan of the film because it's like, well, the movie doesn't have anything to do with the book, just took a couple character names and that's pretty much it, which is not the case at all. So I read the novel some years ago. I was rooting around my house looking for the book uh, in preparation for the show and couldn't find it. And, you know, we've kind of put uh, the episode off a little bit. The other day, we're going through the basement, getting rid of a bunch of junk because we're having a garage sale. And like in the bottom of the storage unit that we've got, there's Starship Troopers, the novel. So I picked it up, read through most of it again. And it's interesting because I remembered it not being very similar to the film at all. And in fact, that's not the case. So the book is told first person from Johnny Rico's perspective. It's kind of like a kind of reads like a war journal, if you will. And most of the main characters are there. Dizzy's there, albeit as a dude. Carmen's there. Carl's there. The general framework of the initial setup is there where, you know, Rico kind of wants to follow Carmen off, Carmen and Carl off to the service in order to become a citizen and then, you know, get enlisting in the mobile infantry and so and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of similarities in some of the events. But the novel is not a satire. Yeah, I was just going to ask. Yeah. Yeah, it is straight. Heinlein, he served in the Navy, the Second World War, and it was his belief that civilians were kind of lazy, and as they had not earned their freedom, they were just being given it, that they didn't appreciate it and therefore didn't make the right decisions. And so he envisioned the future of this type of society 
where citizenship has to be earned through service to the government, to the country. There were non-combat roles in the novel, and you don't really get that feeling so much in the movie, but very interesting take. That really helps put the satire of the film in perspective, because I kind of always wondered, well, what bug is up Paul Verhoeven's ass here that he needs to satirize, like, Nazi Germany is many decades in the past, so what is it that he feels he needs to satirize here, and it's right there, so... Mm. We can talk about that more as we get in there. Again, uh, so Paul Verhoeven from the Netherlands, he only has like five sort of well-known Hollywood films, starting with Robocop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, which are, as we talked about, some sci-fi classic. Well, Basic Instinct is not sci-fi, but some classics of... Uh, some people would think it's sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. A <laughs> couple of turds in there, showgirls. Was that between <laughs> And Hollow Man. You remember Hollow Man with the bacon? Yes. Yeah, Bacon's Bacon. Uh, Who can forget? Bacon's Bacon. Cool effects in that movie, but not a good film. It's got the shoe. I give it credit where credit is due. Oh, that's right. It does have Elizabeth's shoe. Forgot about that. That's all I remember. (laughs) For good reason. Yeah, well, she was hands down the best. As much as I like Kevin Bacon, she is definitely the best part of that. Interesting note about Paul Verhoeven. He has degrees in physics and mathematics, so he is not a dummy, for sure. The film was written by uh, Ed Newmeyer, who also wrote Robocop. In fact, he wrote all three Robocop films and a couple episodes of the TV series that came on afterwards. He also wrote all of the direct-to-video Starship Trooper sequels that uh, came after I've this. never and- seen any of the sequels anything after this movie. I didn't either. It spawned a very low-budget direct-to-video sequel, which didn't obviously feature any of the returning cast. Just a total different story. Starship Troopers 3, Marauder, does feature the return to the franchise, Casper Van Dien. I believe it also stars Jolene Blaylock from Star Trek Enterprise. And I just found out today that also on-demand animated fourth movie in the franchise is hitting this August, featuring the voices of Casper Van Dien and Dina Meyer, who played Dizzy. Oh, it lives. It lives. On. It lives. Yes, it lives. Wow. There was also a cartoon that came out I've never seen an episode of. So so the franchise is still alive, uh, albeit in much reduced form. So, huh? yeah. So those are some tidbits there. All right. Let's get into the analysis here. So we open on the propaganda film, which I thought was an interesting way to open the film there. We see the ranks of troops, just massive, massive rank of troops in this propaganda video. We get sort of a bit of a setting for the war against the bugs with the meteors being hurled towards Earth. And then we're right in the invasion on Klandathu, which I kind of thought was neat with the journalist there, the video, and boom, you know, we see things are not going well. And then our hero all of a sudden looks like he's killed almost in the opening. I love this opening sequence. It sets all the right tones. It gets you right into the movie. You already know right off the first beats here that it's going to be a bit satirical because of the journalist's presence there and the way he's talking and the propaganda that you're talking about. It has that feel. Then you also get the gore right off the bat. You got to look at what the bugs are. And I loved it. Great. Yeah, I thought it was a ballsy way to open the movie. And you're right. You know exactly what you're getting now to the end. With that opening propaganda video, I mean, right there, it's laid bare for you right away. And that was a very bold way to open the movie, I thought. So that was great. Let's go to, we'll spend maybe a little bit of time here. So let's go to the classroom. Uh, So we flash back one year earlier. Johnny, who looks like the guy who was just off on the battlefield there sitting in the classroom, basically passing notes to his girlfriend in a futuristic way. And we have Michael. What's with those weird fucking tablets like they have there? He's drawing like lips and stuff like that. And it goes on her tablet. (laughs) It's a pretty shitty iPad that they've got there in 1997 uh, in the future. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
he did draw some pretty voluptuous lip. It looked like her on the screen there. Yeah, I guess. But you get an idea of how good at the at the schools Mr. Johnny Rico is in this scene here. So, but we also get Michael the Ironside fucking Ironside. Uh, <laughs> love Michael Ironside. I mean, yeah, he's a boss, man. Uh, that guy's a boss. Michael Ironside's, he is a boss. For sure. I wish he had more roles. I know he's been around playing army generals and shit like that since this movie, but man, I wish there was more prime Michael Ironside in movies. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he's kind of one note. You know, know. there's only so much. He's a little one note, but he plays that note brilliantly. Yeah, he does. You know, he really does. He's so good as Michael Ironside. And honestly, if any human being ever looked like what his name is, it's Michael Ironside. That's true. He's the Iron Man. He is the Iron Man. He plays their instructor there, Mr. Raschak. And this is also where we get first inclination of the society that we live in. So I want to talk about this a little bit because this is pretty key to the underlying themes that go throughout the film here. So according to Mr. Raschak, the failure of democracy caused by social scientists brought the world to the brink of chaos. And then veterans, i.e. the military, took control and imposed the stability of the last generation since. So that's our, our society here. What are your initial thoughts on this society that we're seeing here. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a possible poke at what a possible future could be for the way we're trending as a species. Government and the military will just always maintain control. Now I'm a bit not so sure if I got the message right, because if you're saying that the author had the idea that if people were not respecting what it meant for freedom and they should be forced to do service in the military to earn their rights as a civilian. I'm not sure if this really... I look at it this way, and I say Verhoeven's making fun of the fact the way the military and the powers would be would think if they had that kind of power, they would force us all into service to earn our rights for freedom mm-hmm. instead of us having those rights to begin with. So now I'm confused because I thought that's kind of what his point was, and that's the satire. But now I'm wondering if that was just already built into the story and that's, you know, the author had the opposite view Point. Yeah, and he was curious about it in this exact scene, in fact, does appear very early on in the novel, which is that nobody's forced, civilians are not forced into service, but if you want to exercise any political rights. Yeah, and uh, your right to you, be a free person, choose what you want to do. Yeah, then you have to volunteer for service. But you can volunteer anyway. You need Republic uh, but we credits. Can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Republic credits are no good here. And the other interesting bit of conversation here, I thought as well, was when he says, when you vote, you're exercising political authority. And when you do that, you're using force, which is violence, which is the supreme authority from which all other authority derives. And then I think it was Dizzy who says, might have been karma, but either way, somebody says, you know, my mother always says violence never solves anything. And then he points out, oh, it was Dizzy who said that. And then he's like, oh, really? Oh, I wonder what the fathers of Hiroshima would have had to say about that. To which Carmen says they wouldn't have said anything because Hiroshima was destroyed. So he's saying, exactly. Like, violence never solves anything. No, it solves everything. Yeah. So again, then that's sort of the extra layer here where, you know, authority by force is, is kind of the only solution, which is the society that they live in. And what's interesting is like these concepts are, I guess I would say these aren't the values that no, most of us would hold in the Western civilized world at this time or maybe 20 years ago. But this society, as we move along here, starts to look pretty good. 
As we take a look around the classroom, everybody's really pretty. We move outside of the classroom. Aren't they all nice white as well? Stick. I don't know if I got uh, they, it. They look They are not. I thought so at first, but as we kind of go, I don't know about in the classroom, but when we go to graduation and in the military, uh, no, not everybody is white. I mean, our main cast is white for sure, but you know, it's the 90s. So but we can talk about the diversity as well because there's some interesting points there. So that's the basis of the society laid out for us right away, which I think was a, an effective way of uh, giving us this world in like in a believable setting without, you know, it's exposition with, without beating us over the head with it like you can buy because of the setting kind of buy it right yeah uh, you know we get a little bit of high school life we get the idea of you know dizzy being really into johnny and you know carmen kind of being standoffish and uh, we get introduced to carl played by neil patrick harris definitely comes off as a smart kid and we find out that he's also psychic correct me if i'm wrong did they pretty much steal because the first time you really see carl he's trying Mm -hmm. to trying to do like this psychic experiment with rico and i remembered laughing because to me that reminded me of ghostbusters oh yeah right from ghostbusters did you get that feeling i I got that feeling i wondered if that might not have been a like a standard like ghostbusters probably ripped it off from somewhere as well no but it's just the way i don't know it's just the way that scene was played like well maybe because he couldn't get right yeah maybe 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 he's in love with rico yeah maybe he's in love with rico yeah I was just going to say, yeah, 7 no. o'clock? Not that there's anything wrong with that, Neil. No, not that there's anything wrong with that. Not, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, anyway, I think this is before he was out, but that's okay, too. You know, we're just kind of getting, you know, setting the stage with the relationships and world here. We get to the scene uh, where they're dissecting the bug in the lab. And I actually like this scene here. They did a good job with props. Carapace of the bug seemed oh, a yeah. little fake, but started pulling the intestines out and all of that. I just love the practical effects, the bug and the slime and the gore. Oh, it was just great. And people yeah. were just puking yeah. and like, in, or Carmen pukes because it's not her thing. And it's a great scene, actually. I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was a really good scene. A really good scene as well because I liked how, you know, nonchalant pretty much, you know, most of them, especially Johnny. He's just like, yeah, here, hold this. Okay, the heart. Then he's just pulling the fucking guts out of this thing. I thought that was a good scene. Played for laughs. I had a good chuckle here. I thought it was pretty good. Oh, yeah. yeah. But again, we're kind of just getting the stage set here for us and the relationships. Uh, move on, I just want to touch base on a couple of things about this high school life. I don't know if you were going to yeah. go there. One was the football okay. game, but the other one yeah. is getting your test scores in public. <laughs> Hmm. On like the biggest fucking HD screen imaginable. Yeah. It's like um, <laughs> everyone's seeing your scores. Oh, that's pretty funny. I thought it was pretty funny as well. That was played well. I wondered if maybe I'm, ah, fuck it, that's what we do on the show is overanalyze everything, is if that's another piece of the society where all that stuff is public for some reason. That's just it. You don't have a right to hide your grades or have anything private to yourself until you serve. Yeah, exactly. I like to say, man, maybe I'm over But let's talk about that fucking football game. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I actually really like it, but it is so ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, I like the animosity between him and that flyboy. What's his name? Yeah, Xander. Xander. Oh, what a fuck. Another fucking name. High school jock name, Xander. Oh, boy. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun to see them jostle. But man, the flips. And I think that was, I remember on my first viewing, this was where I was starting to wonder, is this movie for me? I liked Mm -hmm. what I was getting up to here. But then the football game and all of its wackiness and the weirdo jumps and flips and the impossible moves. I was just wondering, oh boy, what is going on here? Might have gotten to something I don't know if I really like. 
I can laugh at it now, but I'm not the biggest fan of these scenes. They might have gone a little too far here. It's kind of funny, but definitely goofy. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Unless in the future, humans can physically do this. Because it's another thing with that satire. Is he saying that we have messed around, maybe genetically, we have messed around to perfect the, you know, the human body. So people, mm. everyone's athletic. Yeah. Everyone's beautiful, as you touched upon. Everybody can do such great things without even trying. I do believe that there's a piece of that here. They did intend for part of that to be the case. Did you notice their headwear? No. They're Jofa hockey helmets. Oh, are they? <laughs> yeah, they say Jofa right on them, man. They are Jofas. Oh, so that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what I did think was kind of neat here was, you know, Rico being our hero of the film, but he is definitely the high school football jock who is so often now not the hero of films where we're usually left to identify with the smarter guys and the nerds, the less popular guys. And that's Xander. I mean, obviously, he's very athletic and good-looking in his own right. But he ends up being the smart guy. He goes to flight school and becomes a, a pilot. Mm. So he's kind of getting bullied in this game by Johnny. So Johnny's sort of – so there's a bit of a, a reversal there for our hero. Another little interesting tidbit of trivia. So Xander's played by Patrick Muldoon. And again, like everybody else in the cast, he's been in a lot of things, but sort of as a one-off. Pretty sure he was in Melrose Place for a little while. So the main cast and many of the extras spent two weeks at a real boot camp to learn, you know, all of the military stuff that they would need for the scenes. Patrick Muldoon was intentionally left out of the boot camp in order to alienate him from the rest of the cast, from the roughnecks. Oh, really? uh, so that they really yeah, so they could feed that animosity on set. That's cool. I like it when directors do that. Yeah. For the betterment of the movie. Mm -hmm. yeah. Director, I would do that too. Well, especially when you're doing that sort of thing. I mean, you're making a military movie and so much of the camaraderie comes from suffering through training. And yeah, then they're naturally have animosity towards any outsiders. I thought it works on screen. He only has a couple scenes with Rico and the rest of the Roughnecks, like maybe a couple scenes, but I think it really played not really well later as we go. Anyway, so the football game. So after that, we get so Xander's flirting with his girlfriend a little bit, which sets the stage for some stuff later. But the good guys win the day, of course. And this is where we go back to Johnny's home here. He's getting dressed for graduation, and his parents find out he's thinking about volunteering for federal service. And I thought this was interesting as well. They are not into him volunteering for service. But not at all. They're also well off. So they could say, yeah, yes. you do what you can go on vacation. You can just be a rich fool's son, sit on a beach and earn 20%. <laughs> pretty much that's what he could do in Buenos Aires or anywhere he wanted to. Yeah, that was interesting. Like they're rich. They don't need to vote or whatever because they're rich. They've got what they need. It would have been cool. Hmm. A nice little joke for Verhoeven, little homage. They could have said, well, you know what, son? If you really want to go to war, just go to recall. <laughs> get your ass to Mars. Yeah, get your ass to Mars. That would have been a nice little joke in there. They could have thrown that in the one line. But anyway. You know, what's actually, uh, Recall would have been funny, but funny that you bring that up because as that scene plays out in the novel, it is Mars that they suggest he goes to for vacation. Oh. <laughs> so we get to the dance and, you know, Johnny tells the teacher that he's going for it. And there's an interesting line here where Mr. Raschek says, figuring things out for yourself is the only freedom anyone really has anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, use that freedom, make up your own mind. And I thought that was a neat little uh, line in it because, you know, you get the feeling that you, they definitely don't have many freedoms at all in this world. Anyway, so down to when they're enlisting there. So they've got that huge group of them taking the oath of service. I thought the interesting piece after that, when they all go up to the recruiting sergeant, and we know, you know, where they're all going based on their test scores. So 
none of them could volunteer for the division they wanted to go. Their test scores dictated where they were going. I thought that was pretty neat. Mm -hmm. You know, again, another sort of little look inside this world. Again, we keep getting these layers of what the society looks like. And these are things that, you know, as we talked about before, that was not the movie that they were advertising where they were going to take the time to give us these little details to build this world for us. And I really like this scene. You know, we've got the sergeant, you know, he's got a prosthetic hand. Both of his legs are gone above the knee. Him being in the military, I mean, I really like that that scene there. I thought that was great. Yeah, the tree gave me everything yeah beat me the today yeah oh shit that was pretty cool there after they finished that carmen makes them take the vow that they'll always be friends a little bit of foreshadowing for later they will end up together but friends well we'll see johnny heads home he's cut off from his family now he's gone and he sees off carmen carl's already gone and johnny is now on his own with uh, only the clothes on his back with him we get another little propaganda video in here with the soldiers showing the kids the guns that is classic verhoeven right there yeah very much so as soon as i saw that i'm like well that's practically right out of robocop classic like robocop yeah that was kind of funny and then the next the commercial for the lethal injection the death penalty for that killer Oh, yeah. Would you like to know more? Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to know more? Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. That's good stuff. Also very classic for Hoven. So they wrap up the propaganda video uh, with a piece from, they're not at war yet, but we get the look at the arachnid quarantine zone. So the tragedy on Dantana. And I thought it was, I don't know what he was doing here, but the video says something like, disregarding federal warnings, Mormon extremists established a port inside the (laughs) arachnid zone. (laughs) Mormon extremists. Mormon I love extremists. that. I love that. That's yeah. great. Well, I mean, that's a definite poke at what the actual society has become. If the Mormons are the extremists. Yeah, good yeah. point. That's how far they're going. <laughs> yeah, when the ultra-conservative Mormon sect is like, whoa, we're out of here. We're out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, I don't know, because they're calling the Mormons extremists. So it's like, are the Mormons too extreme for this society? I don't know. But anyway, it was just a little beat there. I thought it was pretty funny. We get to the boot camp finally, and we see our first look at Sergeant Zim, who's their drill sergeant, played by Clancy Brown. Yeah. He was one of the highlights of the film, for sure. Oh, I agree. I really like Clancy Brown. He's such a great character actor. He's been in so many things over the years. And he's got that great deep voice, that face. It's, uh, yeah, he's great. I like this opening scene here where he's giving everybody shit. I think it's right off the bat where one of, during his speech, one young lad or new recruit is starting to laugh. Yeah. And then he makes yeah. him run. And then he orders somebody to chase him and keep whipping him as he's running. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. I love that. was so fun. <laughs> And then he has these off comments too. I think it's later, like you have failed or you, I can't recall because I haven't seen the movie now in a couple of weeks. So I, and I don't have my notes in front of me, but he has some doozy one-liners in this one. Yeah, he has some good ones. We'll get to that. Yeah, there's a couple of good scenes. This one, this one's funny. He fights the kid and just fucking breaks that kid's arm in half. It's like, you all right, kid? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then Dizzy fights him. Yeah, Dizzy fights him and he just chokes her out. Oh, yeah. And I I don't know if you caught this or not. So she shows up because she shows up late and Johnny sees her and is like, ah, fuck. Like, Dizzy's here. Like, shit. You know, she's tagging along. And then like as he's choking her out, he kind of has a grin on his face. I'm like, well, what exactly is he grinning at just now? You know, he wanted to be on his own and didn't want, you know, his old crew with him. So he's enjoying the fact that she's getting work because she probably just came there to be with him. Right. He knows that. Yeah. It was a little creepy, but that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, you could take it in that context, too. I didn't take it that way. Well, like I say, as I read too much into it, but God damn it, that's what we do on the show. So I really loved our introduction to Ace, played by Jake Busey. (laughs) Is this with the hand? 
that's later. This is the I'm just talking about when they're in line to get food and he's just got his big dumb smile and flat top haircut. I thought it was hilarious. He's just an idiot. We get a bit of a montage here as you brought up with the hand that comes right after. So they're all throwing knives. I really like this scene here where they're throwing knives. A little bit of trivia here, Jake Busey. Uh, so I was uh, watching an interview with him and he said, yeah, you know, they're filming the scene and he has to miss the target. He has to basically, you, you see in the scene that they captured, he throws a knife and it hits a knife that's way off on the edge and he keeps missing the target. But he said, for whatever reason, he couldn't miss. He was so good at hitting the target. He kept like hitting the bullseye with the knife. They had to keep practicing and practicing there. But yeah, so he questions, uh, he's like, well, in a nuke fight, what's the not good as a knife? All you got to do is push a button. And so he makes put put his hand on the wall there and just fucking throws the knife right through his hand, pins it to the wall, and he's like, he can't push the button if you disable his hand. <laughs> that was a good scene. I really liked that. Yeah, that was a great scene. I think that was the first legitimate laugh out loud moment like I remember clearly in the theater when I watched it for the first time. Everybody was howling when that happened. Yeah, it was great. Played well. I mean, you could see it coming a mile away, but such a good scene there. That was fantastic. And then we get an interesting one here. So we get to the shower scene. So big communal shower, co-ed, obviously. And I, and I'm trying to remember what I thought of this at the time. You know, I was a much younger guy back then, but I thought that this shower scene was really interesting. And I'll tell you why after. But I want to get your take on it first. Well, I mean, I know they're titties, Harry. Let's get past. <laughs> Let's get past titties, okay? That's all I got, man. I got nothing. We're diving, we're diving deep here, okay? Come on. I got nothing else. I got nothing else. Like, that, yeah. that was the most what? important takeaway for me. There was talking in this scene. I didn't even. <laughs> didn't even. It's interesting. The only thing here is I. I don't know if I draw too much into this because you see other movies with military where I've there are co-ed where they're talking about in the future or you get the impression that it would be co-ed no matter what like nothing. There's no holes barred. There's no privacy. Everyone's the same. I guess one can look at it in the sense that if they've evolved since then, mankind, women and men are equal, no matter what. Is that a commentary that he's making here? Or, as you said, there are no rights... So you don't even have a right to through gender to be separate. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, no, you can I look at it in many different ways. Yeah, I think you could. I think there's a little bit of both here in the society and especially their recruits, right? There are nobodies. So there is no right to privacy. There's no right to anything. But they also react to each other. It's not even a thing to them. Like none of like nobody's no, it's uh, not nobody's ashamed. Of, no, not at all. There's no gender roles here at all. Like it's not guys and girls. They're just all the same grunts. And I thought that was interesting. And we'll talk a bit about that maybe at the end. I mean, just given the current political climate in the world right now, which is pretty fucking bananas, but I was reading an excerpt from the current vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. He used to be a conservative radio talk show host, sort of in the vein of Rush Limbaugh, but much more reserved. But he did go on a bit of a rant about women in the military and saying, speaking about sexual assaults in the armed forces and things like that. It's like, well, you put women and men together, what do you expect to happen? You got all these young guys with testosterone and they're young and you put women in front of them, they're going to be doing what they do. That was basically his view on the whole thing. So, you know, the military tends to be much more conservative. So letting women into the military and then having them equal roles and things like that would not necessarily be a very conservative thing to do. But this society is a very right wing type of society. 
I'm struggling to see if it is consistent or if it's just so far in the future and like you've erased all individuality. Everybody's just, you're just people. You're not a guy and a girl, you're just people. But not from a positive Star Trek sort of perspective where you're people and it doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl, whereas it's like, we don't give a shit. You know, you're, Captain Kirk you're just. Captain would have loved that shower. You would have owned it. Are you kidding? Nine girls would have been pregnant at the end of that scene if fucking William Shatner was even on set that day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. I would have been pregnant. I walking away if William Shatner was upset. <laughs> Not to linger too long in the shower scene here. We did get some interesting insight into some of the characters, though. I mean, they're all basically extras with a couple of lines. But again, it's some more of that world building where they're asking everybody like, hey, why are you... You know, why'd you join up? No, I like that. You're right. Now that you know, it's triggering my memory of the movie. Yeah, there are other B players here that are actually talking about why yeah. they're there. And you're hearing their story. And I like that. I think that's a really good, nice touches there. Yeah, I think it's a nice, it's a nice touch. You know, we see what citizenship can actually mean. Wasn't there one lady who said, I want to have a baby? Yeah, that's right. She said <laughs> she wanted to have babies and it's easier to get a license if yeah. you're so yeah. there you go. So even to have children, you need to yeah. serve. You need a license to have kids. And it's easier to do it if you serve. It's easier if you serve. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Still yeah. strange. Very interesting. And the one lady, she said she wanted to go into politics and you need to be a citizen for that. So that sort of started me off on a bit of a tangent intellectually here, philosophically. So fuck it, we're just going to do that now. So we know that the military took control of the society at some point in the past. In order to serve in the government in any role, you need to be a citizen. In order to be a citizen, you have to have served in the military. If you want to vote, you need to be a citizen, which means you need to have served. So which means that the military controls everything because they control where you go when you volunteer for service. And all military training is indoctrination. Like yeah. in, today in the 21st century, it's all indoctrination. So it's another form of control. It's another form of control. It's the form of control because like yeah. if you even want to participate, you have to go through the indoctrination system. If you and want to have be brainwashed anyways to vote will be a certain way. So That's right. You go. Yeah. To exactly. maintain that control. Exactly. I thought that was really fascinating in there. And, and that's scary. That's a scary prospect. But, well, in the end, it's not that far from the truth in our life. <laughs> in reality, I mean, there I mean, are many forms of control. It may not be to that degree, but there are many forms of control. There are many forms of control. And depending on what part of the world you live in today, what those forms of control are and where they come from could be very different. In our country, I mean, obviously, many forms of control. Generally speaking, it's a pretty liberal society that you and I live in right now. You know, it's not homogenous just across coast to coast, of course. You live in Russia, the systems of control are very different than systems of control in Canada versus, you know, Italy or the U.K., but like a place like this where you can't exercise any influence unless you've already been indoctrinated by the people who do control things. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's his commentary on Western society is like you are under a system of control, mm -hmm. which I think is a term for the Matrix. But yeah, again, there's a lot more here than have we even seen a, an arachnid at this point other than no. the opening future <laughs> sequence? No, <laughs> not yet. But a lot to dig in. So it's good. Yeah, no, exactly. Like it's, This is not the movie that most people thought they were probably getting. Anyway, so as we move on, we see Johnny sending a sort of video diary to Carmen. And oh, I thought was pretty funny. It's a nice little chuckle there. Things are kind of fun and games and goofy, and we're down in the trenches with them. And then we was sort of our first look at Carmen at flight school, and we get the impression she's already a great pilot. She gets that chance to fly the starship. She runs into pretty boy Xander, who's her flight instructor, and they kind of kick off. 
was going to say undressing each other, but they were eyeball fucking each other in that scene there oh, yeah. when she's doing that. But that was kind of a fun little scene. We get to the laser tag scene with Dizzy and Johnny uh, owning that course. There were some football moves. <laughs> I remember playing laser tag. Yeah. When I play laser tag, I don't ever do a flip. No. No. Hey, it was cool. It was good to it see. Was, yeah. <laughs> of course, the laser beams aren't that painful when I go play laser tag, but it's been a few years, so maybe it's changed. So Johnny wins the role of squad leader there because of his sweet flip. Dizzy's a little pissed off. You know, they're getting a little bit of uh, animosity there. And then Carmen sends. Uh, so Johnny gets his letter there from Carmen, the video letter. And she's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I love the spaceship more than you. So she kicks him to the curb, and that's the first thing. And Johnny admits to Ace that he joined up for her. He's kind of in poor spirits. We get to the live fire exercise the very next day. I get the impression that Johnny's not 100%. They're trying to break the time record. And Johnny tells that dude to take his helmet off, and he gets a bullet in the face. Which, again, some Paul Verhoeven dark humor with the excessive gore as the guy's head just explodes. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, good shot there. Yeah, I love the... uh... But the best part is right after that is cuts to that bird's eye view pulling back. Mm. You just hear the sergeant go, Johnny Rico, you are no longer sergeant. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or no longer team leader. Yeah, Yeah. it was so funny. Oh, my God. I was laughing my ass off. I like the dressing down he gets from, what's his name, from Breaking Bad there. I thought that was a good scene as well. He's like, did you give him permission to remove his helmet? He's like, yep. He's like, are you ready to repair the M3 tactical helmet, Rico? He's like, uh, <laughs> no. I really like that scene where he dresses him down there. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Then he gets Sorry. the lashes. Yeah, and then he gets the lashes, so they get that fucker on there with a straight-up Indiana Jones bullwhip. Just fucks him up. I like that touch there, the the old-school whip. It really sort of, you know, because they could have done something futuristic there, but it had that air, like, I think it lent an air of, like, this is a long-standing tradition mm-hmm. by using that, that bullwhip, so that it felt like it had a little bit more weight to it there. Yeah, what is he going to do? Whip him? Put him in the box? Or what? Like, you know, there's only so much you can do without being too excessive on your own people, right? Was he going to flam? <laughs> well, no, I think the lashes, that makes sense. I think we there was a reference to taking lashes in the public square that Johnny's father had said earlier on in the movie. It has that old-timey, I don't know, old-timey, but it has that sort of barbaric tradition to it. But it feels like that fits really well in this world. And that, I agree, yeah. That would hurt like a mofo, for sure. So this is kind of where things start to turn. Cuts back to Carmen on the ship. Late nights there, and she and Xander are making googly eyes at each other. They almost crash into a meteor asteroid. I don't know what you call it when it's still in space. Asteroid, I think, still. Hurtling towards them, which had been presumably flung from the planet Bandathu towards Earth. Doesn't it fuck up like some other neighboring ships? Not at this point. It it fucks up their ship a little bit. They run into it a little destroys like piece of the ship and then we cut back to johnny who's just you know even though they weren't kicking him out he's decided to resign he's gonna walk out go back home he's talking to his parents on the facetime and big cloud comes over and all of a sudden cuts out so he's walking down washout lane there and says he's about to leave obviously a commotion and i really like this scene actually everybody starts running clearly something's going on and he doesn't even think. He just runs right back into, yells to his uh, buddy there, like, what's going on? He's we're like, going we're going to work. This is one of yeah. the scenes from the trailer. The, yeah. the kind of, I remember, gets you into it that you think it's going to be a hardcore war movie. Yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah, really good scene. And played really well, I thought, because as soon as he says the line, we're going to war, and then Johnny's just like, 
he's not even thinking about leaving or anything that's happened. He's focused and he's in running with the rest of the troops, with the rest of the uh, recruits there. Totally gets it into you there. And, the, and then we find out that Buenos Aires, which is where they're from, has been obliterated by said asteroid that had been flung from the far reaches of the Milky Way galaxy. So I'm not sure the physics on that exactly. Oh, they but... just took a page from J.J. Abrams. Yeah. I must have yeah, read that scene. It's a J- yeah, it was J.J. Abrams. No, this scene, dude, no, this scene inspired J.J. Abrams. <laughs> yeah. Star Trek 09 and The Force Awakens. It yeah. was this. Fuck physics. <laughs> Does it matter? Did it. Fuck physics. Exactly. Yeah. This is the start. It's moving so. like a turtle in one system, but it, it gets to the other place. Somehow it reaches the far reaches of the galaxy in a couple of minutes, even though it's traveling at two meters per second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we run faster than this thing. So Buenos Aires is destroyed. Their families are presumably obliterated, and he tries unresigned. Actually, I kind of like the scene a little bit here. He wants to reconsider, and I liked how uh, Clancy Brown played that scene there. He's like, is this your signature, Rico? He's like, yes, it is. Doesn't look like it to me. Tears it up, and he's back in the army today. So here we go. Yeah, part of the course. I've seen that in dozens of movies. It's okay. We get another propaganda video here. So we see the ruins of Buenos Aires, and they cut to that angry guy. They show a dead dog under the rubble there, and the angry guy's like, the only good bug is a dead bug, and we get the, you know, want to know more. So we get to the Sky Marshal Deans, the old guy there, who's obviously in charge of, seems like in charge of the military, which means he's in charge of everything. And he announces plans for the offensive there. His speech was a little bit chilling where he says we need to ensure that human civilization, not insect, dominates this galaxy now and always. I thought it was an interesting choice of words there to say that we dominate the galaxy here instead of the insects. So again, just a little bit more detail in our, our little world here. I like the part of the the video here where they got the kids stepping on all the cockroaches. Oh, Remember that scene? Yeah. yeah. And the mom cheering them on there it was kind of creepy, I thought. Like, she's so... The mother is the one who's, like, really going nuts over it. This is poking fun at how quickly humanity reacts to anything that can hurt them. They get scared, you know? Like, this is paranoia. Yeah. This is us at its worst. Now, we will just take it upon ourselves that anything similar to the enemy, we will generalize it and we will stomp it with our feet. Right? Yeah. That is humanity in a nutshell. That's what he's poking fun of. Yeah, absolutely. It's so easy to get people frightened, to use fear to, to mobilize yeah. the people. Yeah. And it's scary for sure. And we see that happen. And we see that happen. It's happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. Through terrorism or through anything. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, you know, one kid, dad gets killed by a deer and then he'll be, the, you know, the deer killer. <laughs> Or the deer That's hunter. right. Yeah, yeah. He's the deer hunter. This time it's personal. Deer <laughs> hunter, too. That cow would eat you, Billy. You would. <laughs> they all go to Bovine yeah. University, so it's all good. <laughs> Bovine University. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we move on. Now, here's an, here's an interesting piece. So we're on board. So the invasion is about to commence. The troopers are on board. The ship, their transport heading to Klandathu. This is where we get a first look at the journalist, the video journalist from the start. And there, so he's reporting on the scene on the ship there. And he says that this is the first and only suggestion of this, that the bugs were provoked, perhaps, by intrusion of humans into their natural habitat. And that a live and let live policy is preferable to war. So this is the one and only suggestion mm. that the humans were the aggressors and the bugs were just defending their territory. But you know, the funny thing is, by the end of the movie, don't you get that sense anyways? I never did, no. I kind of do. By the end of the movie, when they're torturing that brain bug, I kind of get the feeling that that, you know, this is really all our fault anyways. 
That is the impression I got when I watched it this time. And I do know from watching the commentary on the Blu-ray that that was, in fact, their intention to make that not so overt, but that was what the suggestion they wanted you to uh, to take away from it. Yeah. And what was also really interesting is as soon as he says that, Rico's like, fuck that. He freaks out. He's like, well, I'm from Buenos Aires. I say kill them all, which is yeah. also from the trailer. So he's enraged at the suggestion. He doesn't know any of the facts. All all he knows is that these bugs, these non-human creatures killed his family and he's going to fuck up their shit. And that's it. For lack of a better term, he's drinking the Kool-Aid on this whole thing. He's been indoctrinated. He went from that idealistic, wide-eyed, young, good-looking kid to a killing machine now. Yep. Scary transition. Humanity uh, they get their, best. Yeah. They get their tattoos together, which was, I don't know, whatever a thing. And this that is where cool finally... tattoo machine, though. Oh, that'd be sweet. Yeah. Very slick tattoo machine. We should get some tats, Harry. Podcast of Rare Antiquities tats on the bicep. We can do that pose <laughs> oh, towards <yeah>. the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm way too delicate for that shit. I can tell you that right now. So this is where Johnny runs into Carmen on the spaceship. First in-person meeting since leaving high school a year ago. And Xander rolls in. You get a little bit of jealousy. And they rumble for a little bit. Xander does the sweet suplex over the head. Oh, yeah. That was pretty good. Some elbows to the solar plexus. They get into it a little bit and break it up. So, you know, a little, a little testosterone going there. You know, this is typical military fare. You know, the Marines or the Air Force or whichever division they always have their grudges. And then you have the personal stakes here. But, I mean, there are fun scenes for the movie. Yeah, it's fun. It, it's a little bit of a respite from what's uh, what's about to happen. So we finally get to... The invasion, and I really love this whole thing. The alarms are going. They run to the drop ships. You know, you got all of those battleships in orbit. I thought they did a really good job. I love the models. You know, they did oh, good yeah. CG work, good yeah, model it was work, really good effects. Yeah, 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 very good. Yeah, and I love the landing shots too, as they land on the planet. I believe. Oh yeah, see I love some that. landing shots there of all the shuttles coming in. Yeah, we do. And thought of you actually, because I remember when we watched Force Awakens, one of the early shots with the drop ships coming in that dropped the stormtroopers. They did it seamlessly, where it kind of comes over and then drops down, and the stormtroopers come out, and they did a very similar thing mm -hmm. here with the drop ships come down and it's in the sky and it does cut but that was just an editing thing it's still the same shot where it's coming out of the sky and one's getting destroyed off in the distance it comes down and then the plank comes down they'll come running out onto the surface yeah that whole scene was great well choreographed well shot the effects were great the music too i think we should maybe touch base to the music i think i really don't notice too much of the music until it gets to wartime mm -hmm. then the soundtrack really kicks in and one of the things i remember of this movie is i always admired the soundtrack it's got that militaristic feel to it and you're right i think it doesn't really kick in until this part of the film here I believe the film was scored by basil polydorus who did Conan the Barbarian, among other things. Gladiator as well, I believe, was another one of his credits. Good scores, if that's the case. Yeah, great scores. In fact, the trailer for Starship Troopers did feature some of the music from finished film, but sort of the main sort of exciting beats of the music from the trailer is from Paul Adouris' score from Conan the Barbarian. Oh, wow. Every trailer from the late 90s, early 2000s had that music in mm -hmm. the trailer. You'll, you'll know this tune if you uh, go look at the trailer. You're right. Very rousing, militaristic. I mean, I was on board with these guys here. It was uh, great. I liked the speech from the lieutenant in the dropship there when they're going in. He's like, oh, yeah, smash the entire air, kill everything with more than two legs. I loved that scene. I thought it was great. I love how he plays. You will survive if you remember your training, right? Yeah. I really liked that line, too. Yeah, that was great. I think he was the first one to bite the bullet. 
But, uh, <laughs> well, he didn't remember anything. He didn't remember a goddamn thing, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the the way he delivered that, it's like if you yeah remember your training, you will come back alive. I thought that was great, excellent. But it's a giant clusterfuck. They get down there and they do okay for a bit. They got those big bugs shooting the plasma out into space there. And they rocket the shit out of that one. Yeah, yeah. They have tactical nukes. Yeah, those are cool weapons. Those- I. Little segue, yeah. what do you think of the bug designs in this movie? Like, they were good, maybe not great. So let's take the warrior bugs, which is what we see the most of. And they seem to have sort of that hard carapace, you know, basically all blades on all their limbs. There doesn't seem to be too much of a body, but there's some interesting design. If you look closely at some of the of some of them, they sort of have that Black Widow sort of red hourglass design on them, which was a neat detail. They were fearsome, but they weren't gross. And that limit the sort of the terror potential there, because like one of the things about spiders for me, I don't know, I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like any normal hot blooded mammal has a healthy aversion to spiders. Oh, yeah. They're so goddamn ugly, Mm. and they look funny, and that's part of the fear. Like, they move strangely, like in real life, like spiders. They move strangely. They got all those fucking legs. They move faster than they look like they should be able to. They're ugly. They're gross. That's part of the terror, and these creatures don't emulate that. Like, they're hard. They move normally, and they don't scare me. Yeah, they're not scary at all, but I'm wondering if that, again, maybe they weren't going down that route anyways. Yeah, they might have been going more, because I think they they wanted to make them more mobile looking. Like, if you blow a spider up to giant size, they don't look like they'd be too terribly quick. So I think that they were trying to make them leaner and meaner, more of a combat unit than, than making you scared. So I think that was a choice. They weren't trying to make the bugs scary. Just I agree with you. I, I guess that's the only thing that I'd like to add to this. I like the fact you see different types Mm -hmm. uh, of bugs. Like you have, you talked about mobile infantry comparison, the crawlers Mm -hmm. who go in and then you have the big bugs that look like bees that shoot out the plasma. uh, And then you have like flying insect ones that you see later. Yeah. And then you have the brain bug and then you have that fucking giant beetle. I mean, these are all interesting designs and I like the variety. Yeah, I like the variety as well. They didn't just go with a homogenized, you know, bug army. Yeah, they had different units and what well, I mean, they uh, and different roles. Exactly. Yeah, it's like a military unit. Like they yeah. they have their tanks and their yeah. infantry and their air force and all of that stuff. Yeah, I like that. Was that any of this in the book in terms of the creature design? Uh, not really. They're not described all that well in the book. They're referred to as the bugs and then the arachnids. I didn't get through the entire book recently for the show, but then no, it's not something I think that they really touched on. Well, then props to Verhoeven and yeah. the designers. Some really good ideas. Like, as you said, they made these bugs into an army. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely did. Yeah. Phil Tippett was the uh, creature designer. Oh, well, uh, of course, he's the master. Yeah, the master Sorry. himself. Yeah. Watched a couple of interviews with him, and he was talking about how, like, reading the script, seeing what some of the bugs had to do. Because, you know, the idea in the script is that we have sort of these different military units, and he had to figure out how to make it work. And the creature design, and, you know, he's talking about his research into actual, like, insects and some of the things that they can do with beetles and things like that, you know, spitting their uh, glands and different shit that they can mix together to, you know, shoot acid and shit. Some crazy fucking things in the animal kingdom, that's for sure. But great creature design, I think, overall. So as, as the battle progresses, you know, we definitely get the impression that the bugs are getting the upper hand here. You know, Ace is not handling shit very well, and Johnny sort of steps up to try to save lives. So he manages to get his squad to fall back, but not before taking that fucking bug leg through his own leg there, and down he goes. 
the journalist is toast and you know things up in orbit are going all the shit a bunch of ships are getting shot down by the bugs and it's clearly not what they were expecting to see so that was fun like you know they're going there should be just a standard bug hunt gonna kill spiders with huge rifles and everything goes upside down i thought it was a great opening there but it's a failure again we get a propaganda video hundred thousand dead in one hour <laughs> yeah that was so funny too yeah <laughs> And you just get, again, some Paul Verhoeven gore, just the bodies strewn across the battlefield, blood and guts all over the place, limbs everywhere. Very Verhoeven. Very Verhoeven. Very Verhoeven. And very effective. I I loved it. You're horrified and you're laughing at the same time. And that's one of the things I love about Verhoeven. Yes. He knows how to like go over the top to make it both horrifying and hilarious at the same time. Very black. That's great. The Sky Marshal resigns, get a new Sky Marshal, and she kind of gives our first indication of the change of plans. We need to understand the bugs. <laughs> I like the debate. I don't know if you remember this part of the movie here where they have the debate between the two people. Do bugs think? And you've got those two experts arguing. And you got the one guy's like, insects with intelligence? I can't believe what I'm hearing. He's such a <laughs> nerd with glasses and stuff. It's pretty funny. Anyway, but it looks like Johnny was killed in action. Carmen sees his name on the casualty list there, so you know she's not happy. But of course, he wakes up and the time he wakes for, up in the back. Christmas to come again, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> come again, come again, <laughs> and again. <laughs> like I say, not a lot broken there, no, except her performance in fucking the world is not enough. That was broke hard, but anyway. So Johnny wakes up in the back to tank. How'd you like the back to tank? Yeah, that was awesome, and I love the machine that's repairing his thigh. That was great. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah for '97, that looked really good yeah it did look pretty good uh, they did a pretty good job with the effects overall uh, as we talked about before but that looked pretty cool that was good so we're basically down to johnny dizzy and ace as the only survivors from their unit and they join the roughnecks here so they're the teacher from before michael ironside making a triumphant return with a sweet metal arm and shit's getting real now that's where I'm wondering if Verhoeven should have done something fun. Did Richter actually survive? <laughs> See, the body of Richter. Both arms should have been gone, yeah. Yeah, both arms gone, and then he would have had, you know, two metal arms and hands, and then you, you would start to wonder, okay, this is a possibility. Lieutenant Richter. He's out for blood. They should have had Arnie playing this character. That would have been great. Sergeant Candy. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck was that? Seriously. <laughs> Sergeant Candy. <laughs> Oh, boy. So they joined the Razzjack Roughnecks. So a new plan. They're going down to another planet because they're going to clean out all of the planets now, just not the home world. And same situation. They get to battle some bugs there. I like these sequences here as they're making their way through the desert valley. They run into that huge beetle that can shoot fire, like melts that one lady's arm. Oh, yeah. See, again, more great special effects. I mean, I mean maybe not up to today's standards, but for then, really good. Really look good. And I, I liked how Johnny like jumps on its back and just blows a hole open into it and throws a grenade in there. I thought that was... He has not let go of those football skills. They have saved his you, bacon. Everybody's... Not just football skills, future football skills. Yes. Because like, you want to put Tom Brady onto that shit, he'd have been fucked up. Oh, yeah. He would have been lit up in two seconds. Johnny Rico? No. He does flips and shit. To be fair, those grenades mean you can't deflate them, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, nice one. That's a deep cut there, buddy. Good job. <laughs> well, thank you. Anyways, we get to the celebration at night here. So I kind of like the scene here where after they're done with the day's battle, you know, they get the beer out. They give Jake Busey that weird plastic see-through neon violin. Oh, what the fuck choice. was that? Oh, my God. 
First of all, like what I guess it makes sense that a Busey would pick the violin and just start going off and randomly playing this weirdo instrument. You got beer, you got other shit like there, but nope, I'm going for the nope. violin. I'm going for the futuristic violin. I, I hated that scene. I, that makes me cringe. It's just <laughs> like we need to give Busey something to do. I mean, they didn't have any bags of coke on set, so they, you know, they figured the violin was probably the too much, or... (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out when the BCs come after us, right? Yeah, exactly, because you won't see them coming. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so Johnny and Dizzy, Johnny pulls like the reverse Spider-Man on Dizzy there with the shirt or whatever, I don't know what, Paul Verhoeven's sexual shit going on in Paul Verhoeven's mind there with that, but that's okay. But like he comes in and he's like, okay, you got 15 minutes, make it 20. And like, okay, Okay. I don't want to speak for anybody else, but when they're looking at each other and she's like, she's like at the disbelief and he's like, oh, we can do it. I'm like, yeah, dude, you can do it. 20. Have you looked at her? You got 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. You got enough time to do that and fucking make yourself a sandwich afterwards. <laughs> yes. It wouldn't take me 20 minutes. That's what I was dealing with. No, nope. not even close. And like, that's just a compliment to Dina Meyer. Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Like he's got plenty of time. Anyway, so so they come across the military outpost. It's been overrun again. Lots of bodies, lots of gore, and they come across a general. And we get some idea that they're there for sort of some special mission. Honestly, right? Like they had some information on the bugs and that brain bug. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the bugs laid a trap and lured them there, and they had no choice. So they got to shore that up and await extraction. I like this battle scene. I thought it was pretty tense where the bugs are bearing down on them. Oh, yeah. And they, they got to wait for extraction there. I thought that was I thought that was a lot of fun to watch that. They ramped up the tension here. I thought it was good. What did you think of how this battle scene played out? Probably the best one in the entire movie. And I think this is where Richter gets it again, except he loses his legs instead of yeah. the arms. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Verhoeven hates fucking Michael Ironside. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you got your arms this time. Well, fuck you. No yeah, legs. No legs. So he pulls them out, and I think Dizzy gets it at the end, too, right? Before they're extracted. Is that yeah, here? Yeah, So Raschek already got it. He gets his legs torn off. Johnny puts him down, and then as they're getting into the ship, it's kind of neat. Those two guys get roasted by that fire-breathing beetle. Yep. Uh, they get melted down. They blow that up. As they're trying to escape, she gets a couple claws in the torso, and that's uh, and that was a great death scene. I mean, I gotta say, yeah. both Michael Ironside and Dina Meyer did a really good job. Especially Dina Meyer, you know, you kind of feel not because of her character buildup, but like she really played this death scene well. Like she was scared. Mm frightened and pain and uh, i thought she did a great job here yeah i think that's a really good point i really read the fear off her as well it wasn't a clean you know heroic well it was a heroic death i guess in the sense that you know she's trying to save her squad mates and everything like that but yeah you get the fear out of that performance that was really really well done yeah yeah really well it's good really good performance yeah sad to see her go because she was smoking hot but such is the world here so they, it turns out that they got rescued by none other than Xander and Carmen. So, uh, you know, she thinks he's dead. And this is sort of her first, you know, she finds out that he's alive. Uh, you know, they kind of convene back on Starship at the funeral. And this is where they're all reunited with Carl. And this is where he's now first seen with his, you know, Nazi-esque uniform. Yeah. I guess just, you know, segue then, like, what are your thoughts with the brains here wearing, you know, Gestapo uniforms such as that? There's no mistaking who they're trying to make these guys out to be, right? The baddest of the bad guys. And what I thought was really interesting is if you've been paying attention to the movie at this point, you know it's a satire, you know that this is a fascist society, but all of that being the case, they're still the good guys, you know, like they're still the heroes that you're sort of supposed to be identified because they're playing it straight. Like they're playing it straight. Were- but then is this now Verhoeven saying this is not the good side? 
Yeah, I think it is. And, and I think it, it's so jarring because, like, I remember first seeing it. And I'm on Rico's side. You know, like, he seems like a good guy. Yeah. Uh, he's our hero. I'm on his side. And I'm sorry that, you know, that uh, Dizzy just died because she was a boss. And they're the good guys. And here's Carl, who's supposed to be one of the good guys. But as soon as you see him, they use the costume. And you're, yeah, they're not the good guys. That's really jarring at this point in the movie. I'm crediting the movie to that. I don't know what you've been watching so far, but if you haven't got it, if you haven't got it to this point, they're not the good guys. No, this is brilliantly done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. something I, really I like wondered that. on the first time I watched him when I didn't get it until the end, like literally the last shot of the movie when yeah. it's really on the nose. But I was like, you know, raising my eyebrow at this point, saying, "Why is he dressed this way?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something's, yeah. Right. something's not right. So well done here, which is great. So Johnny's put in command, and he's kind of, and Carl's now a dick also, which he has this, this little speech. He's like, well, I have to make decisions, send hundreds of people like you, like you, to their deaths every day. You know, he's not even human, just a grunt. So, But what's interesting there is that Johnny accepts that. He's like, that's what the mobile industry is good for. That's what we do. Anyways, the plan now, they've got to capture the brain bug. So go back to that planet. Johnny's promoted to lieutenant, I think. He's the head trooper. You know, again... More battle, they get sent back down to the planet. Carmen's ship is shot down. They make it to the escape pod. They crash in that cavern there. And uh, poor, poor Xander. <laughs> oh, <laughs> is there- yeah, this scene here, every time, it like kind of like just, you know, gives me the willies. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, well, for me, whatever that mandible is that like pops into his head there, yeah. but it gets kind of transparent. You can see the brains yeah. getting like sucked through that tube. Oh, yeah. oh. Gives me the willies every time. Yeah. And, oh, and then, like, Gross. you see the narrow, empty face yeah. at the end, which is a really well-done makeup. It must be a dummy. It's got to be at that point. I'm not sure. I think, yeah, it must be. Great shots. Um, but, yeah, it gives me the willies every time. I always dread watching this scene because I know what I'm going to about to see. It's not yeah. like I look away. It just gives me the willies. It's just, ah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh, oh. great. Like, it's so good. Uh, yeah, they crash, and then she's about to buy it. Rico and company show up in the nick of time. Again, fight ensues. They blow everything up, and uh, they make it out. The brain bug is captured by Zim, the original drill sergeant, and that's pretty much it. And then we get Carl walks up to the brain bug, puts his hand on it there to read his mind there. And this was scary. Mm-hmm. As he's like, it's afraid. They're afraid. And when I saw the movie the first time, I'm like, yeah, that's because like, we're going to fuck up these bugs. And now I'm like, they're afraid because these things from across the galaxy came for us. Right. And now there's nothing we can do about it. Nope. They're fucked. They're fucked. Humanity yep. once again has fucked over another species. species. Yeah. yeah. It didn't do anything. Uh, like didn't do anything to them. This is the first time I watched it with that mindset, and man, that was chilling. When I first watched it, this was the conclusion I had at the end. And it was more actually not even just this scene, mm-hmm. it, like the literal end of the movie when he like jabs him and you know where. Get yeah. that sensor, and it's like, okay, now I know what the message is. Yeah, that scene there, and that was really because it's a helpless. I mean, it's a gross creature, but it's not like it's slow. It's there. It's helpless. And yeah, they're then they're basically torturing it. This is a Nazi medical experiment right out of World War Two that they're doing on this creature here. And yeah, yeah. No, ugh, ugh. I know. But I mean, brilliant. It's a brilliant ending to the movie. Yeah, great ending to the movie. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, so that's Starship Troopers from top to bottom there. Shit. I don't really know where to start here, man. What are your kind of overall thoughts just from what we've watched and gone through so far? Not to give away the final, final thoughts, there's a lot to chew on when you watch this movie, if you really put your mind to it and look at all the layers, as we've talked about here, uh, the satire, 
the revelation of humanity's role in all of this and who are the good guys and bad guys, what our society may become, that form of control we talked about. There's a lot of topics here to think about. I always thought the Starship Troopers was, uh, and this is a you know a tribute to Verhoeven, a lot of his movies have a lot of different meanings and subtext to it. Again, it's another enjoyable experience. For, and then to top it off, you got some good action. The acting, while not the best acting, it's not terrible acting. You know, we can laugh at all we want about a guy named Casper Van Dien. But, <laughs> I mean, it's a funny name, but it's not that he did a terrible job. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. he did an okay job. One other point I wanted to bring up. So I was watching an interview with Michael Ironside and he, uh, you know, had familiarity obviously with Hoven, read the scripts and asked him like, what's your take on it? And uh, Verhoeven basically, what he said to him was, you know, if I stand up on a soapbox and I tell the the far right, what we call the alt right now, I guess, wave a finger at them and say, you know, this is wrong. What you do is wrong and all of this stuff. Nobody would listen. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to do what I'm going to create their perfect fascist paradise for them. This is what Verhoeven was telling Ironside? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to create their perfect paradise, the perfect fascist paradise where everything works, everything appears to be so nice on the surface, but all it's good for is killing fucking bucks. That's what he said to him. So seeing, like, if we look back on the whole movie there, where their society seems to be a paradise on the surface, what are your thoughts on that society? Is this a bad place to live? It is, but, like, again, we don't know everything either, you and I. Right. But I can tell you that the masses are clueless about a lot of yeah. things. I'm also clueless about a lot of things. So I can imagine a society like that would be clueless about 99% of what's going around them anyways. We talked mm. about that form of control. So it's not yeah. a good society at all. Yeah. In the end, if humanity ends up that way, it'll just be our downfall anyways. The first mm. thing that truly challenges us, but then we, we would definitely just be done with very quickly. I agree. On the surface, it seems like it's great. But let me take a look at what, you know, what happens. Like, it's a meat grinder. They take these kids and they're sacrificed. They have no mind to put all of these people in this meat grinder. And it's fine. And whoever survives, great. You can you can be a citizen of our, of our federation. But they're so indoctrinated that it doesn't matter. And, and what I, another thing I thought was interesting in observation I made is that so many of the citizens that we see because the citizens aren't in the military. Like the citizens are the ones who've kind of retired from service. They're not actively serving anymore. Maybe they go back in. But we see so Michael Ironside, right, missing his arm. We see that recruiting sergeant or lieutenant missing, missing an arm, both legs. Yep. Even that science teacher, when they're dissecting the bugs, she's blind. You can see the acid burns on her face. All of these people who've gone through the service are disfigured or are, are mangled, right? They're not whole anymore. They're broken. They're their former selves. So I thought that was a, you know, yet, also yet a they're bit still of, brainwashed, still brainwashed. It's like the exact opposite of Star Trek's vision of the future, if you will, mm-hmm. right? Almost exactly the opposite, which is really interesting. I mean, you don't get that type of view of the future and it being portrayed as the norm. I mean, usually if you get a dystopic future, whether it's uh, the Hunger Games, I hate to bring that up because I'm not a fan. If anybody's seen the film Equilibrium with Christian Bale, I mean, it's like a 1984 type of thing where the system, the control, but we always sort of see it from the perspective of the people who are sort of the victims of that society underneath who want to resist. And this, we don't see from that perspective. We see from the perspective of the privileged white kids, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's a really unique perspective. That's part of what makes it a really effective satire on the original source material is that we kind of don't see the counterpoint. The counterpoint point to this society is all underneath the surface. We have to infer it. 
Yeah, exactly. You're just getting the rich kid's point of view and their mm-hmm. parents. Nothing is wrong. Let's go take a vacation. Yeah. I mean, that was the main discussion point, I think, there. Uh, let's talk about the satires there. Is there another, any other points you want to bring up before we bring up our final thoughts on the film? I think we covered it for the most part. Again, a lot to dig in if you watch this movie. And mm-hmm. its rewatchability has just increased over the years. Well, let's do final thoughts, Harry. And would you recommend this film? And is it a rare antiquity? Oh, I would recommend this film to anybody who would enjoy watching a good movie. Not many people do watch a good movie or like watching good movies. But yeah, there's a lot to dig in here as we talked about. It's a great movie all in all. I recommend it highly. I think it's a rare antiquity. One of Paul Verhoeven's best movies. Not the best, but one of the best. Definite rare antiquity for me. Awesome. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, I absolutely recommend this film. It's got so much on every every time you watch it, there's something more to pull out of this film. It's so wonderfully layered. I mean, for a film called Starship Troopers about space marines shooting alien fighters, I mean, they pack so much into this. Highly recommend it. And uh, absolutely, it's a rare antiquity. They do not make them like this anymore. I mean, a big budget sci-fi action satire? Come on. This might be the only one. I mean, other than like Robocop and Total Recall, and Total Recall being less of a satire, more of a straight sci-fi. I mean, shit. These don't exist. You know? yeah, that's, so. yeah, that's true. That's Starship Troopers. Harry, thanks for, for doing the show. What do you have in store for us for next time? Give me one minute. Because <laughs> I completely forgot. I know what it is. I'm just getting the details on my phone. This, right. I know what I want to choose. All right. So next time, we will look at Sidney Lumet's 1976 black comedy. I think it's a black comedy, at least. So it's a, it's a drama. I would say more of a drama comedy. Network. Network. Yes. Have you ever seen it? No, I have Very not. Very good movie. Okay. But I thought it would be interesting to discuss. I think there's a lot to dig into that movie, just like this one. Different genre. I think you'll enjoy pulling the weeds out of that one. 1976. Network. 1976. Okay. Network. Yeah, no, not familiar with this one at all. It'll be a doozy. Awesome. All right. All right, man. That was a lot of fun, and hopefully it won't take us so long to get around to the next one. We'll see you on the next one. All right. Cheers. All right.